Today we're preaching on the servants of the Lord, the servants of the Lord. The Lord is looking for a few good men and few good women to serve in the work of the Lord. A few weeks ago, uh, Troy and I, our oldest son, copped on a red eye. And somehow overnight, we uh, landed in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, we got our rental car and uh, we drove down south to Canton, Ohio. And so, so Troy and I were on a father and son weekend, you know, just talking about manhood and other things like that. And um, the Pro Football Hall of Fame was part of our stop as one of our former players who was being enshrined in the Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame, invited us to come. So what an honor. So we went. And as we got to the event, I mean, <laughs> football greats were everywhere. I mean, it was amazing. Guys that I grew up with in the 80s and the 90s to even current people, it was phenomenal. It was great. So if you're a football fan, you would have loved it. I mean, these greats had record-setting careers, running and catching and tackling, all those sort of things. These greats won many championships. They innovated the game of football through coaching and through playing. So these, this is what made up the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And it was an amazing event to be at. And uh, I had a friend there, Dave Baker, who providentially he and I became friends when I had a chance to be part of the coaching staff that coaches son at the University of Southern California. He is the head of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's a steward that takes care of the facilities and the events and everything. He kind of gives it its heart, you know. And he is a brother in the Lord. He's a brother in the Lord, and so we got to catch up together. And he's a natural encourager. And this is what he said to me. I thought this would be encouraging for all of us as well. He's Rocky, you're now working in God's Hall of Fame. Because he knew I used to coach in football. Now he knows I'm in pastoral ministry. And that lasts a lot longer than mine. Rocky, you're now working in God's Hall of Fame. And that lasts a lot longer than mine. And I thought, what an encouragement and reminder for all of us Christians. We're working to be in God's Hall of Fame. Although the Pro Football Hall of Fame is phenomenal, it's, a, it's in some ways breathtaking for somebody like me, we know that's a fleeting glory. Where God's Hall of Fame is eternal. He's right about that. And so I thought to myself, what is God's Hall of Fame all about? Although salvation is completely free, if you're here as a visitor or, or of, a, of a friend that invited you to church, Perhaps you're not a Christian and you just say, hey, let me go check this out, hang out with my friends. The Bible teaches, God's word teaches this, for we're saved by grace as a free gift. We do nothing to earn it. God does everything to give us salvation, meaning we're forgiven of all our sins. We're all sinners. But Jesus Christ, God himself, died to pay for the price that sinners must pay someday. And if you trust in him as your Lord and Savior, you can be part of God and God's family forever and be forgiven. So we know that salvation is free, brothers and sisters. We know this. This is a good reminder for all of us to hear that. But, all, but I wanted to say on the flip side, eternal rewards are different. Eternal rewards, some crowns that God will dispense someday are completely earned based on our faithfulness. So you may be asking, Pastor, well, what do I need to be faithful to? Faithful to what? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says we need to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Are we faithful in abounding in the work of the Lord? 
What is the work of the Lord? Jesus Christ, our God, our head, says, he calls it the Great Commission, or we call it the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples. How faithful have you and I been to go and making disciples, evangelizing the lost, edifying the saints? That's what discipleship is all about. And in God's Hall of Fame, what is, looking, what is Jesus looking for? Well, this is what he's looking for. Sister Michelle, thank you for reading the scriptures. Out of Matthew 20, 26 to 27, Jesus coins what greatness is. You hear some phrases, hear some truth that he dispenses to the disciples. Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. If you want to be great, be a servant. Whoever wishes to be first, to be lifted up as first, among you shall be your slave. Be a slave to one another if you want to be first. Jesus Christ himself, our example, our God, the one who we love, said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. That's greatness right there. So Jesus Christ is looking for some servants to do the work of the Lord. Like I said at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus Christ is looking, is looking for a few good men and women to serve him, even young and old. This is what he's looking for. And we should all desire to be in God's hall of fame. Eternity and salvation is free, like I said. But there are going to be some distinctions in heaven in in proportion to our faithfulness to him. So Paul, a member of God's hall of fame, Paul, the one who wrote Corinthians, is going to describe what a servant of the Lord looks like today for us. So please rise. We're going to be at 1 Corinthians 16. Let's keep this in mind. We're going to, as we read verses 5 through 12, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verses 5 through 12. Paul writes, But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia. And perhaps I'll stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. Verse 8, But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Verse 12. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not all at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to preach. Thank you for 1 Corinthians 16. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us what a servant of the Lord relies upon today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. The Hall of Fame uh, uh, members who are enshrined, they give a speech. And one of my favorite things that I like to listen to for is this. Not necessarily the stats, not necessarily seeing the highlights once again, but I like to know what's going on inside their hearts. Anyone could see how big and fast they were, or even the amazing plays that they did. Anyone could see that. But we want to see what makes this man tick. What drives him? What does he think about? What does he rely upon? So today, Paul has given us his mind on what 
the servant of the Lord looks like on who's faithful to do the work of the Lord. So five points I'm going to cover. So kind of, like I said before, kind of signposts along the, along the road of the sermon so you can follow along. Five points I'm just going to give you ahead of time. The servants of the Lord rely on God's sovereignty, number one. Number two, spiritual vision. Number three, spiritual stamina. Don't worry, I'll, we'll have a chance to cover these all over again if you can't write with me. Number four, saintly support. And number five, finally, mutual submission. Mutual submission. So let's get to our first point. Number one, the servants of the Lord rely on God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. Verses five through seven, Paul gives us his travel itinerary. He says, I like to come to you, Corinthian church. I want to come see you. I want to, matter of fact, I might even spend the winter with you because it's hard to travel in the winter. I might winter with you, hang out with you for some time. I want to come see you. This is the heart of Paul. Paul is a very relational man. He's not just sending emails or letters out. He wants to see people face to face. There's a power in the presence of having you come face to face with friends and other church members. So Paul understood this and he had a whole itinerary set up. And he's writing this letter as he's in Asia Minor. Corinth is in, in Greece across the water. And he said, I'm going to go through Macedonia, through northern Greece first, and come down to Corinth, which is southern Greece. I mean, this is quite a plan that he's had. I mean, this is, according to my calculations, over 600 miles, either on foot or, 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 or through water. And if he wanted to go to Macedonia first, that makes that trip even longer. This is more than getting on a flight, as we know. So this is a significant commitment that Paul is making. And Paul has a plan. He says, I want to go the route. He has the route through Macedonia down to Corinth. The timing, perhaps he'll spend the winter there with the Corinthians. Even the length of stay, he says, I want to stay with you for some time. However, with all that in mind, turn your eyes to verse 7 here. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time. Comma. Here's the qualification. If the Lord permits. If the Lord permits. This is the overarching truth that we all need to embrace as servants of the Lord. We may have plans. We may have desires. These may be good plans, good desires. People may be able to affirm it. But ultimately, it's up to the Lord. I mean, Paul talked this way throughout the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4, 19, he goes, But I will come to you soon, comma, if the Lord wills. All right, Paul always qualified that. I want to come. I want to do this. I want to go to Rome, if the Lord wills. Leon Morris writes, He is the Lord's servant. Talking about the servant of the Lord. He is the Lord's servant. He must go where the Lord wills. If you are the servant of the Lord, you go where the Lord wills. All his plans must therefore be subject to the provisio that the Lord may intervene and direct him elsewhere. The servant of the Lord relies upon God's sovereignty. Proverbs 16.9 talks about how the plans belong to man, but the Lord directs his steps, right? God allows us to develop plans and desires and all that, at the end of the day, God decides what actually happens. Is it my plans or God's plans? I mean, it was very clear in Paul's mind. It's God's plans. This is God's will that he rested upon. And since we're all Christian, who those of us who are Christians, we're all Lord, the Lord's servants, we must submit to the Lord's plans. 
And I couldn't help but think about James chapter 4. And perhaps as you're sitting there, brothers and sisters, James chapter 4 came to, my, came to mind as well. James chapter 4 says this, verse 13, 4, 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. What a plan. Verse 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Verse 15, this is how we should speak. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So as we say things, as we make plans, God willing, we'll graduate out of college. God willing, I'll be married. God willing, I'll be able to pay off my mortgage. God willing, I'll, get, I'll see you at church next week, right? God willing. That shows proper respect, proper submission to the Lord. The servant of the Lord relies on the sovereignty of God. And that theme here about the sovereignty of God or God's sovereignty is going to be the common thread, really, that goes through this whole sermon. So keep that in mind. God's sovereignty. Let's go to point number two. The servant of the Lord... Servants of the Lord rely on spiritual vision, spiritual vision, spiritual sight, spiritual vision. Let me read verse 8 for us. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Paul says, I'm coming, Corinthians, God willing, but I'm going to remain at Ephesus until Pentecost. And matter of fact, Paul would spend two to three years in Ephesus. It was a long stay. He was committed to the Ephesian church. And this is where he would author 1 Corinthians and other books and start 2 Corinthians. So he was very productive in Ephesus. Now, where is Ephesus? Ephesus is uh, in Asia Minor at the west coast of of, of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was Paul's headquarters, ministry headquarters in Asia Minor, that part of the world. It was a major Roman city. It had massive influence. Paul was very strategic now. There's a reason why he invested so much in the Ephesians. Because out of Ephesus, a lot of influence spread throughout the the known world. In Ephesus, this was an affluent trade port city where there's trade and commerce. There's a lot of money flowing through the, the city. A lot of different cultures were there. A lot of different people from all around the world were there. So in in some ways, you could evangelize someone in Ephesus. They'll export it back to their homelands. Very strategic, similar to Los Angeles, where we live. Ephesus had a dark side as well, though. Ephesus was deep into into black magic, into the occult, into sorcery and witchcraft, into superstitions. A lot of overt demonic activity happened in Ephesus. In Ephesus, they had the seventh wonder of the ancient world, the temple of Artemis. The Romans call them, called her Diana, but Artemis was the goddess of f- fertility, magic, and astrology. This is the god that they served. This is the god that represented Ephesus. And this temple of Artemis served as, the, as a bank. This is where they stored their money and, and, and all the affluent treasures that they had because they figured who would attack the temple of Artemis. This is the safest place in town. So why did Paul remain in Ephesus for two to three years? Well, let's look at chapter 9, uh, verse 9 now of 1 Corinthians 16. 
But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. That's verse 8. For a wide door for effective service is open to me. Why did Paul stay for two to three years? Because God has opened providentially, his sovereign hand opened up a door wide open. This word wide is megas, like mega. It's great. It's, it's a rare opportunity for Paul to have effective service. God opened up. So Paul realizes he had spiritual vision to see there's a wide open hole here. There's a wide open opportunity for me to have gospel ministry in an effective way. Paul said, I'm going to stick around and see this thing through. This is very important. We all need to have spiritual vision to see God's providential hand move and open doors for us to serve him. And how effective was his ministry? Let's turn to Acts chapter 19. Go to the left a few books here. And Acts 19 is the narrative that describes what happened in Ephesus for Paul. And I can't go through everything, but take time to read Acts 19 on your own. And you'll get a fuller idea of what I'm talking about. I want to give you a sample of how effective it was for Paul in Ephesus. All right? Let's go to uh, uh, chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Verse 8. And he entered a synagogue. Paul entered a synagogue. He always went to the Jews first and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. There's, that's preaching. He was preaching to them. He was persuading them. You have to believe. Persuading them. He was reasoning with them through their scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. Verse 9. But when some were, were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, the way is the Christian way, before the people, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This is a, a secular school, school of Tyrannus. Like if I can't preach in the synagogue, I'm going to preach in the secular schools. He was looking for opportunities constantly. But look what happened. This took place for two years. He was teaching in the school of Tyrannus so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, now, when, he, when it says Asia, we're not thinking about Japan or China, all right? Asia, Asia Minor, perhaps even the west coast of Asia Minor. But that's significant, though. That's significant, effective ministry. See how influential Ephesus was? You capture Ephesus, the dominoes come uh, tumbling down in that region because that is such an influential place. Paul understood this. Let's look at verse 18 here. That's, that's effective. But let's, this is even more descriptive how effective it was. Verse 18 of 19 Acts, Acts 19, 18. Many also of those who had believed, they believed the word of, the, of Christ, kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. They're confessing what they've been doing. Verse 19, and many of those who practice magic, Remember we talked about black magic. Brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. That's repentance, brothers and sisters. When you turn away from sinful things, when you know this is not pleasing to the Lord. I'm a Christian now. This is unacceptable to the Lord for me to watch or to do or to listen. I'm going to burn these things. I'm no longer going to, going to keep them around me anymore. And this wasn't a small little delete on, on your computer now. This is significant. And they counted up the price of them, the books, and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. How much is that worth? Scholars believe that 50,000 pieces of silver is worth 50,000 days of work. I did a little bit of math, and 
for most average Americans, that's 192 years of work. Imagine you're working for 192 years, and that's how much the price of these books worth were worth. That's repentance, brothers and sisters. So how effective was uh, the ministry in Ephesus? Why did Paul stay for two to three years? Why couldn't Paul come immediately to Corinth? Because God had a lot of work to do in Ephesus, and it was effective work. Not only was the word of Christ being spread out through Asia, people were repenting. Can you see this in your own lives where you're repenting of your sins, of things of the past that you know are acceptable to the Lord? This is, this is an encouragement. Verse 20. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. That's effective. God's word being saved, changed lives, and the fruit of discipleship is being shown. Evangelism, edification is taking place. That's how effective Paul was in Ephesus. We'd, I think all of us will understand. I can't come yet. I need to stick around two to three years. Servants of the Lord must see where God is working, though, right? You can't just say, this is what I want to happen. What is God actually doing? This is a door has been opened to me. The implication is that God himself has flung open that door wide open for him to drive a Mack truck through. It's a wide open door for effective service. It goes back to God's sovereignty, Paul had spiritual vision vision because he believed in God's sovereignty. And although he had a desire to come to Corinth, he decided to be productive exactly where he was at. I want to give a word of encouragement to all of us. Where can you see God's invisible hand moving providentially in your life? Do you have spiritual vision to see this for effective service? Where in your neighborhoods do you have wide open doors for effective service? Schools are back in person. Are you kidding me? First time in two years for some. Colleges are back? What? Isn't that incredible? Doesn't matter how young or how old you are. What a wide open door for effective service. Look for those opportunities. We're in person now. That's incredible. Which relationships seem to be open to Christ? Missionaries. Where's the action at? Is it in Hong Kong? Is it in parts of China? Is it in Kazakhstan? Is it in Japan? Where is it at? Those who have a unique calling to be missionaries abroad. Where is it at? I know that's where you want to go. At Evergreen Church, I absolutely believe this. Uh, this church family, this opportunity we have here, it's a gold mine. We're sitting on the gold mine to influence the San Gabriel Valley with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. What a gold mine. What an opportunity. What a, such a time as this for us to be here. Wide door for effective service. God is getting ready to unleash us. But you got to be able to see it happening before your eyes so you can step forward. Pray for spiritual vision. John MacArthur writes this in his commentary. When we are looking for a place to serve the Lord, we should look for a place with problems, for a church that is discouraged, for a group in our own congregation that needs to have a better understanding of God's word. 
for people who have never heard God's word or have heard it only in a perverted or unbalanced form. That is where the Lord can truly use you. Where can you be of help? Plain, simply put, you kind of don't want to go to a place that's already ready-made. You kind of want to say, where can I actually help? That's an encouragement. Now, some of us may have like spiritual cataracts. You may say, Pastor, I, I can't see this. I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, pray. It's, a spir- it's spiritual vision. Pray and ask God for spiritual vision to help you to see where is there effective ministry being opened up for me. And begin with where you're currently at. Paul was effective in Ephesus. He wasn't thinking ahead to Corinth. He was thinking, how can I be effective right now? Time is short, and God providentially has placed us in this place, whether at Evergreen, our schools, our neighborhood, our workplaces, our families, our marriages, wherever that may be. Look for opportunities where you're at. And if, specifically, if you want to serve at Evergreen, ask one of the pastors. Look at the app. We, Brother Garrett has formed it in the app where you could just scroll through these things, and perhaps some of these are opportunities to serve. So the, the servants of the Lord rely on spiritual vision. Spiritual vision. Let me just take a little pause here. Something exciting has been happening. We're going for the heights of the Hall of Fame to Pop Warner football, okay? <laughs> At the beginning. Some of our boys here have decided to play tackle football. It's been kind of exciting to hear. You know, and uh, I can't lie. I'm pretty excited watching these cute little guys running around with their big helmets on and I just got a word for you guys, okay, Leo? Whenever the coach gives you the ball, make sure you have great vision, okay? Run to daylight. That means where there's space. Don't run into darkness, okay? You don't want to be someone who runs to darkness, okay? You might not be gifted in running with a ball, and that's okay. Look for daylight. Not only that, know that once you get that ball, everybody on the field is looking to tackle you and hit you as hard as they can. So you can't be running as you're just running through the park like it's all good. You have to have your pad level down. You have to be alert. Who are they coming at? So that when you get that open hole, you're able to hit it as hard as you can. Be alert. Be alert. So similar to a running back with a wide open hole, it takes more than spiritual vision for servants of the Lord to be effective. Because, let's turn to 1 Corinthians again, verse 9. I could hear the pages turning. That's wonderful. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me. That's great. Here's a wide hole. I'm running through it now. I'm going to hit it. And there are many adversaries. You see that? And there are many adversaries. Let's have realistic expectations, brothers and sisters, as we walk through these wide open doors. You're going to expect hostility from the world. Expect opposition. Because when you have effective service for the Lord, you're invading Satan's turf. And Satan will defend his turf. He will deploy the forces of hell to come against you. To try to stop you, to try to discourage you, to try to get you off track, to try to get you distracted, to get you off of gospel ministry to more humanistic ministry so that it's more acceptable. Expect opposition. The world is coming after you. Paul understood this. 
In Acts 19, the Jews are coming after him. They're against him because he was invading their turf as they're proclaiming Christ as the Messiah. In Acts 19, the Gentiles were coming after him because he was affecting their way of life. He was calling people to repent and burn their magic books and to stop worshiping Artemis. Bible says, Paul says, and there will be many adversaries, hostility, opposition, confrontations. Expect that as you would serve as a servant of the Lord. So point number three, the servants of the Lord rely on spiritual stamina. You have to have stamina. You have to have staying power to stay there. Paul stuck around for two to three years. He got hot where he was at too. Let me go to 19, Acts 19 again. Let's go to Acts 19 once again. And this is, this is important because it kind of shows us exactly how the world gets provoked here. Acts 19, 23. So people are coming to Christ. People were, were, were repenting of, of uh, black magic and worshiping idols. This is a significant thing taking place in, in, in Ephesus. Verse 23. And about that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who, who made silver shrines of Artemis, his idol maker, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. This is big business at Ephesus. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business? Our livelihood depends upon this. Our wealth depends upon this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia. This Paul, he becomes an enemy. This Paul, they know who he is, has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, our, our business is going to go out of business, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she, be, she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. When they heard this, they were filled with rage, and they began crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Riots happened. Riots happen. David Pryor writes, whenever the gospel is faithfully preached, it always challenges economic vested interests and will make many wealthy and influential people very nervous. They lose power, they lose their money. The true church has always been opposed, not by the poor, but by the wealthy. G. Campbell Morgan, preacher and evangelist, said, if you have no opposition in the place you serve, You're serving in the wrong place. There's a false idea out there. Perhaps you've heard it. You know, if the if God or if the Lord is in it, it will be without any problems or tension, right? If God's in it, it'll be smooth sailing. That's not true. Remember, going back to God's sovereignty. How do you have spiritual stamina? Listen very carefully now. This is very important that you understand this. Because we all need to finish strong. We all need to have persevere. How do we have spiritual stamina? It goes right back to God's sovereignty. Satan is God's devil. You hear what I just said? Satan is God's devil. Satan does exactly what God wants. Nothing more, nothing less. God is in control, complete control. God uses Satan exactly how he wants to. So any opposition that there is through Satan or the world 
Know that God is in control, and that leads to having spiritual stamina. You're not going to be tired. Because if you think it's a haphazard thing or kind of a random thing, it's going to get wearisome. But if you know God is in control, you have stamina there. Finishing up here with a couple more points. Troy Polomalu, the, the player that we went to go support and to, uh, to see get enshrined, his Hall of Fame induction speech was very inspirational. And uh, he thanked all the people in his life for the support that he got. He received, he thanked his uncle, his wife, coaches, teammates, other people. And the idea here that he expressed was this great sense of gratitude for everyone who helped him because he understood no one gets there alone. No one just is born that way and all of a sudden you're in the Hall of Fame. You had to have a lot of people investing in your lives. So point number four, the servants of the Lord rely on saintly support. Saintly support. Support from the church. Let me read verse 10 of Corinthians. Back to Corinthians 16 here. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. Paul sends Timothy to Corinth. I can't come there yet, but I'm going to send my best. I'm going to send Timothy. Who is Timothy? Timothy is Paul's protege. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. He was a spiritual son to Paul. Paul, Timothy is a young evangelist, a young pastor. Timothy is also had a tendency to be a little bit timid at times. He was a little bit unsure of himself. He wasn't like Paul. But he was growing in that way. And Paul also knew the Corinthian church could be a bit carnal and, and prideful and arrogant. The Corinthian church challenged and questioned Paul constantly. They questioned his authority. Are you really an apostle, Paul? Paul, is that all you got in your preaching? I mean, we could find better speakers than that here down the street at the school. Paul, I mean, is that what you look like? I mean, they're very much insulting of Paul, some of them, and they would challenge him. Paul knew this. If they treated Paul this way, how would they treat his protege? So Paul's looking out for his, his guy. And it says, see that he is with with you without cause to be afraid. Timothy experienced the hostility of the world at Ephesus. He saw the Jews come against Paul. He started seeing the rumblings of the, of the idol makers. Paul, I mean, Timothy comes to Ephesus wounded already. I mean, to Corinth wounded already. He's not coming on cloud nine. It's like, wow, this is awesome. He's wounded. And he can be a bit timid at times. And Paul knows that the church at Corinth could bite. He knows that sheep can bite. The sheep bite sometimes. And Paul knew that the wounds from the church cut much deeper than the wounds from the world. The wounds from other Christians are way more painful. Because in some ways you expect the world to act like the world, amen? But Christians, you expect them to act like brothers and sisters. So Paul says to, to the Corinthians, treat Timothy with dignity and respect. Support him. Why, Paul? Because Timothy is talented and amazing. He's the, next pro, he's the next phenom. Because he's my friend. Because he's likable and cute. Because he's got a great style about him. Because he'll do whatever you want and serve you and make you happy. No, no. Because let's look, look to verse 10 again here. 
for or because he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. You respect Timothy because he is a servant of the Lord. You respect Timothy because he is committed to the work of the Lord. You respect Timothy because he's paid the price to do this. You respect Timothy because he's facing opposition constantly. You respect Timothy because he's put his personal dreams and goals aside to come to serve you, Corinthians. Therefore, respect Timothy. Encourage him. Support him. Support him. I'm going to read a verse out of from the author of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17 talks about this. Perhaps this would have been a helpful word to the Corinthians. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey Timothy and submit to him. For Timothy, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Timothy is going to care for your souls and give an account to Christ someday. But here's the part of the church. Hebrews 13, 17. Let them do this with joy. Let let the leaders do this with joy and not with grief. Do not cause grief to come upon the leaders of the church. For this would be unprofitable for you. You don't want discouraged pastors and leaders and lay leaders to be leading the church. You want to encourage them. You want to welcome them. You want to help them. You want to make them feel supported. You want to make them, I got your back. You're not alone in this. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. Because we're all in this together. We all have a God-given role. Some are in the leading role. Some are in the supportive role. But both roles are to build upon the work of the Lord. We're all servants of the Lord. We all have different roles. That's what Paul is telling the Corinthians. Now finally, we got to the fifth point. I think this is a critical point as well. As we understand we're part of a big team, Okay, everyone has a role. Every Hall of Famer said, I couldn't have done this without my teammates or my coaches. I'm, I just was part of this. How can I not succeed with great people around me? That's kind of the idea. Fifthly, the servants of the Lord rely on mutual submission. Submission. Let me read verse 12 for us. Paul had an associate named Apollos who was mentioned in Corinthians as well earlier, but let me read verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 16. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encourage him greatly to come to you with the brethren. Paul the apostle says, Apollos, please go to Corinth. What was Apollos' response? And it was not at all his desire to come now. He said, no, I can't do that right now, Paul. But he will come when he has opportunity. Who was Apollos? Acts 18 says this. Apollos was fervent in the spirit. He was a fired up man. He was a mighty preacher, eloquent and bold. He was strong in the scriptures. He knew the word of God. And he was a popular figure in Corinth. And in some ways, a potential rival to Paul. Did Paul see him this way? No, he didn't. He calls him our brother. A fellow servant of the Lord, he's seen, he's seen Apollos as. Mutually submit, submitted to Apollos. A fellow teammate. Right? In your ministries, do you see any rising people in your ministry that you would like to fan the flame and help them take over someday? Really, the goal is to hand it off someday. 
because we're not going to be here forever. We want to keep handing off the baton over and over and over and over and over again. This is what we want to do. The servants of the Lord rely on mutual submission. Paul saw Apollos not as a rival, but as a teammate. We're all doing the work of the Lord. We're all servants of the Lord. Apollos, he didn't pull the apostle card and go, hey, you better go because I'm the apostle Paul. He goes, all right, I trust that the Lord's working. I trust that the Lord has effective ministry for you. Go when you can. Paul was a true teammate in that regard. And I want to just, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Stay in the same book. Go to the left a little bit. We'll finish off with chapter 3 here. Chapter 3, um, verse 9. I'm just going to skip to verse 9. This is how Paul saw ministry. This is how the servants of the Lord today, all of us should see ministry. For we are God's, verse 9, chapter 1 Corinthians 3, 9. For we are God's fellow workers, or teammates, Paul says. You are God's field and God's building. It wasn't Paul's ministry. It wasn't Apollos' ministry. It was God's ministry. That's how Paul saw it all. Stay in chapter 3. We'll we'll go there, but in conclusion, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the climax of the weekend is this. It's the enshrinement ceremony. And it's amazing. At the enshrinement ceremony, you have the entire football community either showing up or watching on television. (laughs) They're watching. If you love football, you're kind of watching and paying attention. And the recipients come up there, and they've been awarded these gold jackets, so they come up there wearing their gold blazers. They show their highlights across the screen. A presenter that's been prominent in their lives comes and presents and talks about their many accomplishments and their characteristics. And then finally, they would uh, unveil a a bust, kind of a statue, a sculpture of their head, unveil that to the crowd and to everybody. And then finally, that man looks forward to getting a Hall of Fame ring someday, and he is enshrined into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And even though that's a fleeting moment, wow, what a moment it is. What a moment it is. But I want to say this for God's Hall of Fame. Just like not every player gets to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, not every Christian gets to go into God's Hall of Fame as well. What do I mean by that? Sure, salvation is free. We're in the presence of God and in heaven. But there's going to be some distinguish, distinguishing marks based on faithfulness. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians three twelve. We'll finish up here. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, that day, our enshrinement day, for that day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Was your work gold, silver, or precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble? Would it be burned up? Or will it remain and stand a test of fire? If a man's work which he built on, on it remains, he'll receive a reward. A crown, the Bible says. A crown. Not a ring, not a bust, not a gold jacket. A crown from Christ himself. If a man's work is burned up, wood, hay, stubble, 
He will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. He will come into the kingdom smelling like smoke. No extra rewards. In that day, the Pro Football Hall of Fame had everyone there. In that day, the whole entire church will be present. Christ Jesus is the one that's going to present every single one of us. He is the one that's going to present us. He is the one that's going to talk about our faithfulness or lack of faithfulness. He is the one that's going to test our motives. And in that day, we're going to find out if we built with gold, silver, or precious stones. And based on the quality of the servant's work, Jesus Christ will say, well done, good and faithful, what? Servant. That's what you want to hear ringing in in our ears in that day. Well done, good and faithful servant. In that day, the faithful servant will rewarded a crown. And immediately, the faithful will throw their crowns back at his feet because we know it's all by God's grace that we're able to do any of this. What a moment that's going to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you for 1 Corinthians 16. Thank you for Paul's heart to explain what the servant of the Lord looks like, what he relies upon. Thank you for redeeming us today. Thank you, Lord, that you redeemed us, Lord, and we want to count our blessings every day that we are people. Thank you for the saints that come before us to lay work and ministry to bless us today. People from evergreen of the past, to our church fathers, to the apostles, to the prophets of old, to Christ himself ultimately. Thank you that we get to be part of this work. Lord, help us to respond to your word. Help us to first of all trust in the overarching truth of your sovereign will that you are in control of everything. Help us to find stamina in this. Help us to see whales, have spiritual vision. Help us to persevere under pressure. And help us to support one another in the work of the Lord. Take our lives and let it be exactly how you would want us to use it. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.